Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Jail Skeffington, formerly Radigan. Jail is the co-founder and CEO of French Broad Chocolate in Asheville, North Carolina. She believes in using business as a force for good. What started in 2006 as a mom-and-pop farmer's market stand has grown to over 70 employees and includes an online shop, a, sh- a chocolate lounge and boutique, and an experiential chocolate factory and cafe. Last sentence again. What started in 2006 as a mom-and-pop farmer's market stand has grown to over 70 employees and includes an online shop, a chocolate lounge and boutique, and an experiential chocolate factory and cafe. Welcome to the podcast, Jail. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So you've had such an interesting path to (laughs) arrive at your business. Um, You're uh, you called yourself a business school dropout, (laughs) although you did complete the MBA, uh, I think in 2018, and then you were in Costa Rica and started a, a, a shop called Bread and Chocolate, and then French Broad Chocolate Lounge started in 2006. Can you tell us about that experience and how this all evolved for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, dating back to, um, as you said, being a business school dropout, um, even <laughs> approaching that, um, I, I I enrolled in business school because I was feeling lost. Um, I wanted to have a meaningful life and I wanted my work to be a part of that. I knew my work would be a part of that, but I hadn't found a clear path to making that come to fruition. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I think in our society, when you're feeling like you need a sense of direction, you turn to education and Business school felt, I don't know, I guess practical um, Mm -hmm. towards that end. And, um, you know, there were many things I enjoyed about it, but ultimately I came to a point a year into the two-year program at the University of Minnesota. um, And I I, I kind of was looking around me in this big classroom and seeing all these future executives. Again, I was in Minnesota, so I was seeing like General Mills and, you know, the traditional 3M. 3M, yeah, the traditional yeah. companies, yeah. big companies in Minnesota. And I felt, um, I just had the sense that I was in the wrong place. Um, mm. So I decided I was going to finish out the year and and then I was going to leave the program. So it just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. Um, so I did that, but I had already enrolled in a, an environmental business seminar in Costa Rica. And, um, you know, obviously not being in the program anymore, I didn't attend the, the seminar, but I did still have my plane ticket. Um, so I decided I would just go there and travel on my own. And 
Um, I, I, I met a couple in um, San Jose, the capital, and they mm -hmm. told me about this village in on the southern Caribbean coast called Puerto Viejo and how lovely it was. And they had just come from there on their honeymoon. And, oh. um, and yeah, I've been there. It's gorgeous. <laughs> and oh, great. Um, yeah, it yeah. is gorgeous. So um, Dan at the time, um, my partner in um, business and, and a lot, um, he was in law school at the time and also decided to drop out of his program for similar reasons. <laughs> and he came and met me in Costa Rica and we went to this small uh, Caribbean village and by the end of our trip had decided that that felt like the place to be and we made plans to move there. Um, so it was, you know, through business school that I found, um, you know, the next chapter in Costa Rica, um, sort of simultaneously, I had begun playing, I'm going to say playing, exploring um, chocolate as a creative medium and just a, a way to connect with people and to share love with family and friends, just a passion and a hobby. And, um, you know, I had a uh, a sort of, I guess, epiphany <laughs> to not be dramatic, but <laughs> um, in my kitchen in Minneapolis, I was playing with chocolate. I was hand rolling, um, hand rolling truffles, and I, I, I was, I found the thing I was looking for, which was a direction, um, and I felt um, a literal tingling in my hands and I had a very clear uh, a very clear thought that chocolate was the way that I would find happiness. So <sighs> when we decided to head to Costa Rica, um, that was sort of the that was the fuel. That was what we what our purpose was. And we didn't exactly have mm -hmm. that well defined. Um, but you know, all of that would would come as as the journey unfolded. Well, that kind of intuitive hit is something that we've kind of been taught out of paying attention to, I think, in a lot of ways. And I mean, clearly you were having a response to working with the chocolate and at that very pivotal time in your life, it really spoke to you. And I, I love that you listened to that. Yeah, I agree that that is an important part of my journey. And, um, and it wasn't the the last time that we got, you know, sort of some clues handed to us that we had to choose whether to, you know, ignore or not. Um, and that I think takes practice. Um, and of course, there's a lot more than just intuition. There's, you know, what sure. you do with it and the hard work and, um, of course, you know. but yeah, that it, that's, that's how it felt. Mm. Yeah. Well, in, in the, the course of, of uh, being in Costa Rica and you started a shop called Bread and Chocolate there and, and how did the idea for the French Broad Chocolates arise out of that? Because you, you started off with that French Broad Chocolates being just a tiny little place in Asheville, North Carolina. And it, it was, you had, you had a lot of interest and deluged with customers. I remember lines around the corner mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to get into this little place. And that's, it's, you've gone national now and <laughs> perhaps international as well. So it's, it's been quite a journey. It has been quite a journey. Um, it, I mean, the, you know, in Costa Rica, we, as you said, started a restaurant called Bread and Chocolate. It was a 
breakfast, lunch, and dessert cafe. And there, you know, we were, again, sort of serendipitously put into a place in the world where cacao grows, um, you know, which is 20 degrees north and south of the equator. So, um, Mm. you know, that was, uh, it was our opportunity to get to know cacao, to see how it grows, to visit farms, to see how um, growers processed it and turned it into chocolate, like in kind of a, a really, um, you know, low tech way, um, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we had the opportunity to um, use local chocolate in some of our recipes at the restaurant. And it really just kind of made that path more, more concrete. Um, and, you know, we, I mean, we were there for two years. It was like, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And it was um, definitely a life-changing experience to live there. Um, But ultimately, you know, we had our first son there in Costa Rica. And ultimately, you know, for that reason, and many others decided that we wanted to be closer to home and family. And um, we started to talk to people in this um, lovely village in Costa Rica about our next chapter and where we would go. Um, And again, um, over and over, people said to us, you guys would love Asheville. (laughs) And I how many times have we heard that? (laughs) And it made no sense. I had never heard of it. I I'm from Minnesota. So I've never I've never lived in the South. I've never spent significant time in the southern part of the United States. So it just really, there was no real reason other than, you know, hearing the suggestion enough times that we were like, okay, we'll, we'll go there. <laughs> and right. um, so, you know, I, I didn't mention before, but um, we arrived in Costa Rica by way of a 40 foot retired school bus that we had turned into a diesel or a biodiesel or used vegetable oil powered um, oh. RV. And so we drove that um, from Minnesota to Costa Rica and and parked it there. It was kind of our, (laughs) our guest house um, when we lived there. Um, And so, you know, we made this decision that we were going back um, to the States. We sold the restaurant. It still is in existence today. And yeah. Yeah. And um, we got on the bus with our, with our one and a half year old and, um, we visited Asheville and we were here for five days and, you know, we, we um, took walks in the mountains and went to farmer's markets and walked down Haywood road and saw, you know, like young families and um, this burgeoning food scene and this entrepreneurial climate. Um, And after five days, we're like, yeah, that's, that's home. Uh, (laughs) and so we moved here and um you know I um I reference a lot the the book um The Alchemist Mm -hmm. and um the the idea that um when you want something the universe conspires to make it happen um and they talk about the concept of um, beginner's luck as kind of like training wheels to that process of listening And, um, so, um, we, (laughs) we kind of had that beginner's luck in Costa Rica. Our business was successful right away. 
And so we kind of had this like <laughs> unearned confidence, I'll say. And we came to Asheville really just confident that this was going to work. We were going to start a chocolate business. We were going to uh, set up a certified kitchen in our home and we were going to sell at farmer's markets and we were going to just be this mom and pop um, business. And, you know, we did that and it was, it was amazing for so many reasons. We, um, we, you know, being part of the farmer's market gave us a true like living uh, experience of the food scene here and of the growing seasons mm -hmm. and what produce came up when and, connecting and establishing relationships and spending time with our local farmers. Um, and, you know, we met our early customers, a lot of whom support us um, still. And we, you know, established a lot of the foundational recipes um, that we still use. Um, there was just so mm -hmm. much, you know, important stuff in that first year. Um, one of the things that, that was not there was money. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and yeah. so that was, you know, financially not viable, um, which was, mm. you know, really scary and, and devastating. Um, and so, you know, we were just about to give up on the whole idea of entrepreneurship and of our business. Um, and, you know, a friend in a particular conversation that I remember very distinctly um, convinced us to keep going. And um, so, at the time, Dan got a job as a server, um, but, you know, that felt instead of like, like it was giving up our dreams, it felt like it was supporting our dreams. Um, mm -hmm. And that during that time, we went to a local um, entrepreneurial support nonprofit called Mountain BizWorks. And, um, and we took a business plan writing class and we wrote the business plan for our first retail location. And that, you know, opened in 2008. And that was really the turning point, the kind of momentum that we needed to establish ourselves here in Asheville. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so many things in what you talked about there that I feel we could go into any one of those. But some things that really stood out for me were that you got to meet your customers right at the beginning. And I think this is something that entrepreneurs sometimes miss in the enthusiasm about an idea that it gets kind of created almost in a vacuum without really connecting with customers and getting a sense of what people actually want. So what a great experience to have had to be connecting with people in that very direct way and finding out what, what, uh, what, the, what, what the market is like. I do 100% agree with that, but at the same time, like the going from farmer's market to chocolate lounge um, we had to, um, we had to trust ourselves and ignore our customers for a minute, um, because hmm. that idea sounded crazy to a lot of people. Like, what do you mean you're going to start a chocolate restaurant? Um, right. and you know, and it was people who loved us and cared for us and didn't want us to take a, a risk, um, you know, that seemed, mm -hmm. um, like I don't know, like it didn't have the potential to succeed. Um, right. but, so we had to believe in our idea and do it anyway. So important, so important. And even Dan getting a job, just feeling supportive. I, I, I think that can 
as you said, it can feel off track, but it, it's often the perfect thing just to keep things rolling financially because the stress of, of no money coming in is counterproductive as well. So absolutely. And during that relationship, yeah. we met one of our, you know, now dear friends and mentors, um, who was the mm. owner of that restaurant. Um, so another just amazing experience to get a job as a server, but then have it turn out to be a lifelong, you know, relationship and mentorship um, was, you know, that's great. great. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. And Mountain BizWorks, there's a lot of great things that go on there. I, I've coached people through that organization. They've really, uh, it's really grown as well in this community. So it's been a great support for entrepreneurs. Well, we can't talk about a business evolving right now without touching on the pandemic. And I wonder what, what have been the changes that, that you've had to do? Um, and uh, yeah, let's talk about that first. I'm, I'm, you know, we don't have, this doesn't have to be all about the pandemic, but that's obviously changed your business and uh, a lot of businesses right now. Absolutely. Um, we are, um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a, a really different company than it was a year ago, and we are huh. just right at the anniversary. Um, we shut our doors um, a year, uh, just a little, like a year ago last week, and um, being a mostly retail centric business at the mm -hmm. time, um, over eighty percent of our revenue was through our own shops um, to shutter those um, meant, you know, like a real um, fear of survival. We did yeah. not know what was going to happen um, and we were not prepared. You know, we didn't have the safety net, the financial safety net um, to get through something like that. So, you know, we made immediate and drastic um, changes to our business. We laid mm. off almost our entire staff. We had about mm. 90 employees at the time and we went down to 10 or 12. Um, <clears throat> and, um, you know, we opened up for a tiny takeout business, you know, within the, the um, you know, local and federal um, rulings on, um, you know, COVID protocol. We were Mm -hmm. as a food business and essential business. So we had just a very small takeout business that was just really not even making us money. It was just like, because we wanted to stay present. We wanted to be yeah. there for our community. And mm -hmm. we wanted to um, almost like keep our muscles toned, like not atrophy. Um, stopping, starting after a stop is really hard. Um, slowing yeah. way down and then building back momentum, you know, is um, not so hard. Um, mm -hmm. So that, you know, that was the immediate step. Then we turned our attention to the internet, of course, like a lot of businesses and we uh, being in chocolate had a very um, giftable product, very emotional um, mm -hmm. product and so a lot of people, you know, in this time of stress and of lacking human connection, a lot of people turned to chocolate to either comfort themselves 
or to share love with um, their friends and family. Um, mm. That was also timed with, you know, Easter, with Mother's Day, with Father's Day. So our online business just began to really ramp up. Um, and we just, you know, we just l- like listened and um, put our resources where our customers were. And at the time that was the internet. So um, we just went all in and put all of our focus and people and, you know, marketing um, towards that. And, you know, it, um, it really saved us in, you know, in the early days. Um, And, you know, since then, we've just been building slowly back. So it was like a steep, um, like a cliff. Um, Mm -hmm. we jumped off the cliff into the unknown and then we've been climbing the mountain back ever since. Um, but we're doing it. We're, we're, um, you know, we, we opened up, um, you know, a a retail location, then opened up another one. Then, uh, you know, months later, um, opened up a very, a small version of our tour program at our chocolate factory. Um, wholesale accounts started to, you know, need chocolate again um the online business continued to grow and um you know so it's just been a a steady climb back to where we were um ever since Hmm. well and and this whole scenario of course is um makes you think about what would I do in future if there's some sort of catastrophic change or some major market shift or some unpredictable thing happens. And something that always comes to my mind in this, in this situation and, and similar ones is how do you maintain a sense of connection and integrity with the values that you hold for your business? So French Broad Chocolates is a purpose-driven company, you know, I've talked before. And so um, how do you keep that in place in times when survival, the very survival of the business is threatened or, or don't you, do you set those aside and just come back to it later? I mean, I'm going to say a little of both Um, that, Mm -hmm. you know, our, um, our purpose is built into the DNA of our company. So we can't sell a chocolate without, without, um, living by our values because it's all baked into how we make it and how we source the ingredients and um, you know the sustainability um, that's the focus of of our organization. So you know, I, I guess not luckily, but fortunately, um, that just is um, it just is. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, we did have to um, you know make some. I guess choices um, like we we stopped um, most of our giving, which you know wasn't even it wasn't even a question should we give it was like all resources stay towards survival <laughs> you know yep. build it back yeah. it wasn't it didn't yeah. feel controversial um, and you know it also I think our um, like our model of giving was very um, nonprofit and event focused so that, um, you know, all of those things kind of stopped anyway. Um, but, sure. you know, it's something that I just like it, you know, it feels like we're all kind of rubbing our eye, rubbing the sleep out of our eyes and coming out of this big hibernation. Um, and that's definitely one of the things that I'm like, oh, we kind of put that aside. 
um, in 2020. We put aside uh, just like orientation, really things that were really important to our um, team building. Um, so like, again, coming out of it, we're like um, assessing what we experienced, what we learned and where we need to go from here. So we're not stopping, we're turning from, you know, crisis and survival to how do we get back into a place of thriving again? And, um, mm -hmm. and how do, how do we redefine it? You know, um, we can't get a 70 people into a room anymore and, and talk about our values. So <laughs> we're, you know, right. reshaping and yeah. redefining how we, how we do all that. But, you know, the core, the um, sourcing ingredients from our local farmers. So sourcing ingredients, um, sourcing cacao from um, growers and producers, um, you know, that we were committed to, um, you know, paying uh, a higher price um, for, you know, an amazing product. Um, all of that remained intact because, you know, it's just part of, part of, the, part of the business and part of the product. Yeah, I think that's a really crucial point in that, I mean, giving to nonprofits is a very small part of what impact can look like. And the fact that you you chose to infuse those values and, and a focus on impact throughout your business means that it can continue in times like that, that you're still committed to those collaborative partnerships, you're still committed to sourcing in an ethical and sustainable way. And uh, that's such a great example of, of uh, how you can continue to, to do that even in challenging times. Have, have you changed in the way that you think about uh, planning for the future? Has that shifted as a result of this experience? Um, definitely. Um, we you know, our model changed a lot, not only with online, but like the kind, the kind of products that make up most of our revenue. Um, we were as a largely retail business, um, we were focused on things that people would eat at our restaurant, like a chocolate creme brulee or a latte or a glass of wine. Um, and that all mm -hmm. shifted to packaged products like boxes of bonbons and and bags of chocolate covered nuts and things that you could take away safely, um, which was just kind of what our customers wanted. And so that's again, where we put our um, attention and resources to kind of changing our business a lot. Um, so, you know, that's like, we're seeing ourselves in a different way and that impacts how we plan for the future. Um, and I think, you know, we, we have been really good about not um, about, like planning and adjusting. Um, so not getting stuck in our idea of what we think the future will be, but taking one step forward and saying like, yep, this is the right direction and continuing or taking a step back and saying, nope, that wasn't right. Um, and just being, you know, I think like the pandemic forced a lot of businesses to tap into their like entrepreneur um, roots. And, yeah. um, and I also think like excellence, um, has become more of a focus. Um, if we're gonna grow, which we plan to, um, we want to be, uh, we want our foundation solid. And, you know, when you're like racing towards growth, um, you can skip a lot of steps. Um, mm -hmm. And so we made a very conscious decision that this year in 2021, coming out of the pandemic, that we were gonna focus on operational excellence, which does not sound 
exciting or sexy, but um, <laughs> is really going to set us up for, um, you know, a position of strength and setting us up um, for growth yeah. and success in the future by stopping and getting, you know, all the boring stuff like production scheduling and forecasting and inventory, <laughs> um, right. you know, kind of in a better place. Well, and I think that's been a revelation for a lot of companies where this pause, even though I'm sure you were frantically working trying to keep things going, but it's a pause in the in the normal way of doing things. So you start to rethink, how can we do this better? And I recently interviewed the, the former CEO and chair of Amgen, the biggest biotech company in the world, and they were going gangbusters and chose to pause and get all their operational ducks in a row. I mean, it wasn't so much because of a catastrophic event, but um, it's a, it really positioned them for more growth. And that sounds like exactly what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, It's also, you know, giving us an opportunity to again, commit um, to our values. Um, This was the year for our recertification as a certified B corporation. Um, Mm. And, you know, the first time we did that, um, when we became certified, um, I was kind of on the periphery of the process, um, Uh which was, you know, it was appropriate. You know, Um, we had a human resource manager who managed the project and we had a couple of interns um, from, you know, local business and sustainability programs helping Um, And, you know, they would occasionally like meet with me and ask questions where they got stuck. Um, But this time, you know, with the the different resources that we had, um, I definitely still worked with students um, who helped a lot. Um, But um, I was the project manager and that just really like gave me such a valuable opportunity to connect with our um, sustainability initiatives to connect with our, um, you know, community, um, building our supply chain, um, our, just our identity. Um, and I'm, it was so hard, (laughs) so much work, (laughs) but I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to be so directly connected to that process and, and, you know, to, um, like, just remind myself of all the choices that we made that, that um, created our impact business model, which we sort of take for granted. But then when you stop and account for how much, you know, um, like carbon was uh, saved by choosing to outfit our factory with led lights, you know, it's not something that you, I don't know, write in your packaging or um, like really think about very much, but like when in taking account of all of those small choices, um, it was just really powerful. And, and again, like a, just a recommitment to how we wanted to be in the world as a business. Well, it's an important point that you make that the sustainability story isn't always sexy. It isn't always some splashy thing that people can obviously see, but that kind of thing, it's all impact is even if small, it's cumulative, it adds up and it, it contributes as well. And I think we kind of, we can get caught up in the, well, it has to be some huge deal, but those small things are so beneficial also. Absolutely. And I, I mean, in going through the process, I, um, you know, I got help um, 
because there's so much I don't know about, um, you know, environmental management um, that now I'm just so energized um, to learn and um, continue working towards. Um, I've connected with a lot of people in our community already um, who are, you know, educating me and um, showing me what's possible. Mm, that's great. Well, you've touched on this a few times, and I'd like to explore this a little bit. And I've, I've heard you say in an interview that you um, have created collaborative partnerships in your business. And um, could you tell us more about why that's important to you and what it looks like and how it supports your business? Um, gosh, I mean, it's... <laughs> it's funny because it's not one of our stated core values, but it's definitely yeah. a core value <laughs> if yeah. I think about yeah. it, because there almost isn't an aspect of our business that isn't touched by collaboration, um, whether mm -hmm. that's, um, you know, internally um, with our team or in our local community with other businesses or in our industry landscape um, where, you know, our quote unquote competitors are actually collaborators and dear friends and uh, my like biggest support network. Um, it's, I definitely choose um, collaboration as, you know, a business model and way of life. It's just so much more um, fulfilling. And um, I think um, I, it's productive in that it helps build the kind of um, sustainable business and life that I strive for. Mm, that's great. Well, and it's particularly important in the chocolate industry because cacao has not got a great reputation for sustainability. And you've really made a point of bringing that into uh, uh, more healthier, sustainable kind of sourcing. Yeah, there's still so much work to be done. And I've learned so much already on, um, you know, on this journey and in this um, business and industry. And, you know, uh, yes, collaboratively, me and hundreds of other craft chocolate making businesses are working together to question the supply chain and to set a direction. It's so big and we are so small. Um, and that's why, you know, pulling together um, is so important. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of injustice and inequity in the cacao and chocolate supply chain. And, you know, I'm just uh, blessed to be with uh, a lot of people who aren't turning away from that. Um, who are looking at, you know, issues of um, poverty and racism and um, colonialism and all like really huge social issues that still exist mm -hmm. um, that were, you know, again, like, I don't want to overstate, we're a tiny company in a giant ocean of chocolate, but um, I don't want to overstate <laughs> our, our impact for sure. I've learned that lesson. Um, but, you know, it, it is uh, a collaborative effort by a lot of people throughout the supply chain who are trying to um, face it, to face the 
face the ugly. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're part of that and that's inspiring for other people and companies as well. So I, I'd really be interested to explore a little bit. Um, how are you, how do you create a culture intentionally? Because you, you had built a culture in your company. Now with the pandemic, you had a serious reduction really severe reduction in staff. And as you bring people back, do you find yourself thinking about culture in a different way, feeling like you want to create the environment for people to work that's a little different? I mean, 100%. And wow. I say that with uh, like the, <laughs> the um, humility of knowing that I have absolutely made mistakes and let people down this year. Um, mm. it's, and it's again, not out of intention, um, but there's still like impact on people. It's been, you know, a devastating year, um, for, um, businesses like ours and, um, you know, laying off like almost everyone at one time, you know, was devastating to those individuals and building back a mm. team, you know, building back from that, um, has been really hard. And it's not only that, um, that shake up, but then our business is different and change is really hard. And I, like, I have like empathy, um, for what people are going through. And like, we're saying like, you know, more faster, do like, we're doing this now. Like it's so much change <laughs> to yeah. like get the momentum get back going. Um, and you know, the team's all different and the work is different. Um, so absolutely, it's been a really hard year um, for our team and everybody has worked so hard um, to get us through. Through, um, And I have so much gratitude, um, but also like now we're saying like, okay, what, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What do we screw up? What do you need? Um, asking those questions, um, which will, you know, turn into uh, an improvement plan and kind of the like, um, the goal that <laughs> is simply stated, but my goal is to be a place where people want to work. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, what does that mean to people? Um, and not forgetting to not define that for people, but ask, um, what does that mean to you? Um, and, mm -hmm. and what's missing and, you know, make a plan um, towards that. So, you know, we're like starting at the very beginning, starting with our mission, starting with mm -hmm. our values. And, um, you know, we see those as very, alive um you know they're like <laughs> like like uh they're dynamic and we're always every year looking at them and saying does this still feel right and making tiny tweaks and i'm sure if we looked over the trajectory of of our history we would see that you know there have been um significant changes um but you know it's just like tiny tweaks year over year um and and <clears throat> we're yeah, we want to bring more people into the fold, and and that's, um, you know, we're we're uh, we're literally establishing our culture club. And yes, I grew up in the '80s, and yes, that is an intentional <laughs> reference to Boy George Culture Club. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you make such an important point about this time of shifting and changing, and really making again, intentional choices about how you build a culture as you bring people back into the organization or bring new people in. 
And it's a real opportunity to look at things from the ground up. I, I think that there's this kind of myth of, well, won't it be a relief when things just go back to quote unquote normal? Mm -hmm. And nobody wants normal in the sense that there are things that can be done better. There are things that can be, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize the, the, the difficulty of change, but there's also an opportunity here to really look at how are, are the core values and the, the impact you want to have, how are they going to play out now? So it's great that you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it's not, and it's not easy. Um, yeah. And it feels almost like, you know, we just keep pulling threads out of the, out of the fabric until, you know, we're left with just a pile um, and we have to like rebuild it. Um, you know, it just, it's that, that much change um, is hard and everybody is existing with this underlying stress of, you know, uh, safety, <laughs> health, um, family, like foundational human needs um, th yeah. that are just like, the that's your baseline you know when you go to work um so i don't know it's 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 tough but again i feel super optimistic and um i feel like it, spring is here um actually and metaphorically and yeah. we're all ready to come back to life yeah i agree absolutely well uh, my my last question before we go to the the rapid round is how has your leadership evolved in this situation? I, you and I have talked before about women in leadership and how sometimes there are assumptions made, the ways that women get treated that um, don't necessarily give full value to our contributions. And I wonder, even outside of that context, in a broad sense, how have your how has your leadership evolved through this? Mm. I, gosh, I don't even know how to answer that. Um, I think that um, you're right there as a, um, a woman leader, there's a lot of um, a resistance that we're all pushing through um, mm. to um, create a, a more equitable table. Um, and so there's, there's the pushing um, that you know I've certainly been doing, um, but I think I'm um, I'm coming to a place where I don't feel like I have to push so hard, and I can rely on the people around me um, to. I don't have to do it all. You know what I mean? I mm -hmm. um, I can build a great team and um, and rely on you know other people's expertise and experience and intelligence. Um, to help us, um, you know, meet our, meet our goals and get to where we want to go. And that, I mean, what a great encapsulation of growth and leadership for an entrepreneur founder to go from starting a company to really starting to rely more and more on the people that you bring into the organization and, and uh, rely on their uh, how they contribute to the vision as well. Yeah. Well, Jill, uh, I was in these interviews with three rapid round questions. Are you game? <laughs> I'm game. I, I right. will, I'll do my best to think quickly on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just whatever occurs to you first. So 
What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Um, I would say the biggest thing I've learned is that it takes time and um, urgency is not a, a helpful model for impact, um, but looking mm. at the, the long road ahead and committing to it. Mm. That's great. Yeah, thank you for bringing that in. Um, the second question is, what's one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Um, consider honoring people. Mm. That so ties in with your, um, your team and things you said about collaborative relationships. That's great. And the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd give to another entrepreneur who wants to have more impact, who wants to bring more uh, good into the world through their business? I think that impact is built of a thousand small choices. And so, you know, don't try and um, bite off, you know, the entire um, chunk at once but break it down and, um, you know, something like the B um, impact assessment helps to um, catalog and create a framework for impact that helps um, accumulate those choices into a bigger picture. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And that, and when you say the B impact assessment, you're referring to the B Corp certification, just for folks who may not know about that. Um, well, Jail, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been an incredible conversation. Thank you for sharing your journey through this last year and uh, and how your business is evolving, and um, also your journey with leadership and uh, it's bringing. French broad chocolates into the spring of this uh, this year with a lot of optimism. So thank you for being here. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's been great. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, our website, frenchbroadchocolates.com. Um, <laughs> my email is jail at frenchbroadchocolates.com. Um, those are the best ways to find me. Great. Thank you, JL, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Likewise. Thank you, Ursula. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one -on -one with me 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Sioux and people. 